it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Romans chapter 1 verses 8, 9, and 10 are before us this morning, and they will allow us to see the how and the why of better intercessory prayer for others. And now with this message for today, I can Pastor only unceasingly pray for someone if that someone is consistently on my mind and my heart because I love them as I love myself. And additionally, it seems to me that it really helps me to unceasingly pray for that person who's constantly on my mind and on my heart if, number one, they regularly update their prayer requests for me. May I just say for those of you, and it may not be many, to write a missionary prayer letter, less is more. The prayer letters that I find easiest to pray over are the ones that say a lot in a few words. They're not verbose. They're concise. Seems to me that if I'm going to consistently pray for someone that's always on my mind and always in my heart, they need to regularly update their current prayer requests. And number two, they need to tell me of how the Lord has answered my past prayers for them. If you ask somebody to pray for you, you be sure you go and tell them how the Lord's answering. Maybe you say, I'm still in the wait mode. Or maybe you say, God answered yes. Or maybe you say, God answered no. Be sure to go back to the person you asked prayer for to let them know regularly what God is doing. If I'm going to unceasingly pray, For someone, I need to have an update of their current prayer request. That's number one. Number two, they need to tell me of how the Lord has answered my prayers for them. Number three, I have to set a predictable, regular time for intercessory prayer. I'm told (laughs) that broccoli is good for you. I don't like broccoli. I've put balsamic vinegar on it. I don't like broccoli. I'll tell you something. I have a set time to shower but I have no set time to eat broccoli. Do you have a set time to intercede in prayer for others? Because I have a set time to shower each day, I am clean. But because I have no set time to eat broccoli, I do not eat broccoli. You will not intercede in an unceasing way for anybody unless you have an appointment with God, a regular time specified to intercede. And a place to intercede will help as well. Number four, if I'm going to unceasingly pray for people who are always on my mind and always in my heart, I need to keep some kind of a prayer list, complete with the person's requests and God's answers. doesn't have to be fancy. It can be lined paper. It can be a simple school spiral-bound book you buy in an office supply store. It doesn't have to be a fancy journal of prayer, but it just needs to record and date what the prayer request is so you will pray for it regularly and then what God answers when you have an answer. And when you're getting discouraged about interceding in prayer for someone, you be sure you check the answers in your list. One way to do that is to highlight them with colors, that the answers are highlighted in colors, and you can find the answers in a hurry if you're getting weary in interceding in prayer. And so we should go ahead tonight 
We should not wait for anything. We should not wait for a certain fleece from God. We should go ahead and show someone that we have a real care and interest in them. And I challenge myself and I challenge each of you that by noon tomorrow, you have prayerfully identified one person that you are going to regularly pray for. You're going to know their needs. You're going to keep track of their needs. You're going to pray for their needs. You're going to ask them how God is answering the things that you're praying about. By noon tomorrow, we'll identify a person each. Let's get off the dime. Let's not procrastinate. Let's not wait for the ideal moment. Let's do this. By noon tomorrow, let's identify one person that we're going to prove our interest and care in by interceding for them in prayer. God will change things as we pray. God will change us as we pray. Maybe that someone that you're going to show a real caring interest by praying for regularly is a young person in our youth group of our church. Or maybe it's a shut-in who can't get out to worship services who is a part of our church. Or maybe it's a pressured college student or a pre-college student who this summer is fretting and worrying if whether their SAT scores are high enough to get into the college of their choosing. Or maybe it's a learning disabled child that you will take an interest and pray for. Or maybe it's a single mother. Or maybe it's an unemployed breadwinner. Maybe you will take a prayerful interest in a forgotten person of our church, a lonely person, a person that people overlook for whatever reason. Maybe you will take a prayerful interest in a high school student who struggles academically and socially. Maybe you'll take a prayerful interest in a chronically ill person or a person who labels themselves as chronically a victim of this or that. Maybe you'll take a prayerful interest in someone who serves in the Bahamian military Or maybe you'll take a prayerful interest in an imprisoned convict that Joe Sweeting could put you in touch with by letter. And so verses 8 to 10 are beautiful because they give two proofs of Paul's caring interest in the Romans. Number one proof, he'd heard of their good testimony for Jesus that was spreading through the known world. And second proof of his care for them is he had been regularly interceding in prayer for them, although he had never met them. And so is there proof that the man in the pulpit really cares for other believers? And is there proof that the people in the pew tonight really genuinely care for other believers? And is our care for other believers visible, measurable? Will it be going forward noon tomorrow as an important deadline? The proof of our care in someone else will be interest in their testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. The proof for our interest in another believer will be sustained, fed, maintained, grown by regular intercessory prayer for them. For who would you say unceasingly prays for you? And for whom can you say that you unceasingly pray? At the Moody Bible Pastors Conference, which I've been privileged to attend several years, one year, H.B. London, a focus on the family, the pastor to the pastors, spoke. He said a lot of good things, and one of them was that over 200 years, 
His great-great-grandparents prayed daily for their own kids. And then one day, his great-great-great-grandfather sensed the Lord calling him and great-great-great-grandma to pray for their own generation, but also for three future generations of the London family. And bless them, they did so daily for the rest of their lives. How did God answer? Several pastors and even more committed lay people who worked in local churches. And then there was H.B. London, who God raised up to be focused on the family's pastor to thousands and thousands of pastors worldwide. H.B. was one of the Lord's answers to those faithful prayers. And so I asked myself and you, what will be the Lord's answer to our faithful prayers for our families? Current generation, future generations. Again, all of the problems currently facing the Bahamas None are as important as the problem of making regenerates out of degenerates. And only God's grace, wrapped up in his gospel, unleashed by prayer, can solve the problem one Bahamian person at a time. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nichols, and today we want to continue on our series talking about change in our prayer life. As we know, we are now into three weeks into January, and most of us have made resolutions, and most of us have probably already quit. But as we think of a resolution, as we can think of our spiritual life, and we think about a change in our life, there are many things that we need to do. And we shouldn't just make a resolution to read the Bible more, to pray more, but this should be a life-changing aspect of each of our lives. I want to read a couple of quotes to you, and I want you to think about it, and I want you to ponder where in the Bible these quotes are taken from. The first one is, cleanliness is next to godliness. The second one is, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. The third one is, money is the root of all evil. And the fourth is, God helps those who help themselves. Like I said, I want you to tell me where these quotes are found in the Bible. The reality is that if you're trying to find these in the Bible, these are not found in the Bible. But these are statements and quotes that people like to use and try to say that they are in the Bible. So which brings us to the point that we need to know the Word of God. We need to know the truth. We need to know the Bible. We need to know what we believe. And as you can listen to this as a young person, as you consider some might be getting ready to go to college and different things, you need to know the truth about the Word of God. You need to know the Bible and you need to know what you believe. Like I said, the Bible is our manual to life. Or the Bible is where we go for answers. But if we don't know the Bible and people say these things, then how can we say that you know it's not found in the Bible? So today we want to talk about, as we continue talking about prayer. And when we continue to talk about prayer, we, we start off talking about how prayer changes things. You know, people pray because... They go to God and they ask God and they, 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 they proclaim his name and they want to ask God for, for prayer requests and different things. And I want to ask you about when's the last time you prayed out loud? And I'm not talking about praying out loud in a, in a church setting, but I'm talking about praying out loud in your, your home where it's just you and God. You see, I started off talking about the Bible because one of the ways that we can talk to God 
It's through talking about through his word and praying his word. And I think this is something that as we as Christians don't even think about sometimes. We don't think about how we can just pray the word of God, how we recite God's word to him. Because the reality is that as we looked at two weeks ago, we talked about how prayer is all about God. Prayer has nothing to do with us. Prayer is everything to do with God. And we recognize who God is and everything points to God and everything starts with God and everything ends with God because that's what prayer is. But we've made prayer about just going to God with our wants and our needs and, and just saying, God, this is, this is what I want. This is what I need. I want you to heal this person. I need this thing. I want that thing. But that's not what prayer is. So I want you to think about how can we better talk to God? How can we pray using Scripture? You see, Scripture is filled with examples of other people praying. This is helpful because listening to other people pray is often a pretty good way to learn how to pray. In fact, as we look at Scripture, we see that even his disciples asked him, how do we pray? How can we pray? As they, they saw John teaching his disciples how to pray, they were looking at Jesus and saying, how can we pray? And that's one thing I think as a young person, as, as I consider my life when I was a young person, I consider prayer was something that to me was, was just hard. I thought a prayer is something I had to have special words. I had to sound like I was very smart and I knew so much. But prayer has nothing to do with that. But as I learned, as I listened to people praying, that's how I learned to pray. And I saw how people, some people are passionate about prayer. And you can tell people who are passionate about prayer, who have a great prayer life, because prayer is so easy to them. And then you find people who are, it's very hard and they're, they, they're struggling because they don't pray that often. You see, many times when people pray in the Bible, they pray by quoting scripture. And I think it's something that we need to, to get back to. We need to do more of. Maybe that seems weird to talk to God about scripture that he already knows. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever said to your parents, hey, dad, remember when you said this? Or have you ever told a friend, I was thinking about the story you told me the other day. You see, we do all these conversations, but why do we think that praying the scriptures is, is, is going to be something that God would not want us to do? You see, talking to God by using God's own word is kind of like that. When we pray to God using scripture, we are letting him know that we remember what he has said and promised. God loves it when we take him at his word and hold into the promises he made. You see, God has given us many promises. As we, we, we always say, Lord, I, I thank you for you promising your word. You never leave us or forsake us. I know you're always there with me. And I think that this is something that, that we need to get back to. Here are three quick reasons why it's important to pray scripture. Praying God's word helps you understand him. You see, the better you understand the God you're speaking to, the easier it is to talk with him. Secondly, praying God's word reminds you of his promises. God doesn't need to be reminded of what he promised, but we often do. And third, God's word helps you resist temptation. You see, speaking God's word helps us to the reminder to know exactly, as we consider even Jesus himself as he was tempted, we see how he even recited the scripture, even though it was his own father's word. And I think that as we consider talking about praying through scripture, we need to understand exactly what scripture is God's word. Scripture is the truth. Scripture is everything that as a Christian we hold on to because 
it tells us the truth. So why not talk to God about the word? As we need these reminders of his promises, we need the reminders of what he has done for us. What I want to do now as, as we, we close this session, as, as we prepare to talk about the next session, we want to just go through a passage of scripture and we want to go through how we can pray through God's word. How do we understand and how do we do this? Uh, one suggestion is you could go to the Psalms and you can just, you know, pray out loud and you can you can talk the Psalms. But I want to go through a passage of scripture and see how prayer, it brings us back to, to the whole thing of what we're talking about and it goes back to God. And when we recite prayer, we know that we are talking to God. We're saying his word because God's word is true. So as I close this time, I want to just remind you to to, to tune in to us next week as we just go through a passage of scripture in Romans chapter 11. And we just go through the scripture and see how we can pray through scripture. This is Pastor Nicholas and the Ben Addition of Utah. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com That's eocradio at gmail.com Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. A question comes from Matthew 6, verse 16, which reads, Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, And whenever you fast... Do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. The question is, should Christians practice fasting? Although there is no New Testament command that instructs believers to practice fasting, there we do have the example of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, and we have the example of the church at Antioch, Acts chapter 13, verse 3. What is fasting? Fasting involves setting aside the preparation and eating of food to give oneself to God and to devote time to prayer, to actually take the time you would have given over to preparing food and to eating food and giving that same time over just strictly to the purpose of praying. This fasting may demonstrate the seriousness of the believer about a certain matter of prayer concern. Fasting is an expression of dependence upon God rather than upon daily nourishment. When fasting, a believer should avoid calling attention to the practice and should spend additional time with the Lord in prayer, meditation, worship, and Bible reading. Drink plenty of water but avoid fluids containing sugar or caffeine. I might also add that if you have medical conditions, you may want to check with your physician about the nature and the length of any fast that you contemplate. Here's a question from Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, which reads, Jesus' words, 
Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And so the question based on Matthew 25, verse 41 is this, Do wicked unbelievers experience everlasting torment in a fiery hell, or are they annihilated and merely pass out of existence? Answer, Traditionally, Christians have held to the view that those who have rejected Christ suffer the pains of an everlasting, fiery hell. But there have arisen some among the evangelical Christians who argue that these traditional views are found only on early Greek philosophy and that the Bible texts are capable of a differing interpretation. Well, let's say this. There are two texts of Scripture that suggest that hell involves everlasting punishment. Let me say there's more than two, but let's just focus on two. Matthew 25, verse 46, sums up the judgment on the sheep and the goats with the words, quote, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. End of quote. The same word in the Greek for eternal is used to describe the punishment of the wicked and also the blessing of the righteous. Whatever we say about the duration of eternal life for believers must also be said about the eternal punishment for unbelievers. Since life for believers is everlasting, John 10 verse 28, so must be the punishment for unbelievers. In a second Bible text, Revelation 20, verse 10, John describes those in the lake of fire being, quote, tormented day and night forever and ever, end of quote. The expression day and night is used in Revelation to express the concept of forever. It's that simple. The lake of fire is described in Revelation 19 and verse 20 as a place that, quote, burns with brimstone, end quote. The saddest verse in the Bible has John declaring that anyone whose name is not written in the book of life is, quote, thrown into the lake of fire, end of quote. That's Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. The doctrine of eternal punishment for those who have rejected Christ appears to be thoroughly, completely, accurately biblical. It's what the Bible teaches. This is not an easy teaching or one that brings us any joy, but the unpleasantness of a doctrine should not cause us to deny biblical truth. Teaching on eternal damnation may serve as a motivation for evangelism and an encouragement toward repentance and belief. I pray that it will affect that indeed. Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. This is just before Jesus was betrayed and just after he had his last supper with his disciples. Matthew twenty six thirty, And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The question is, what hymn did Jesus sing with his disciples as they left the upper room for the Mount of Olives? Well, according to well-established Jewish tradition of that time, the Hallel Psalms, namely Psalms 113, 
114, 115, 116, 117, and 118 were sung during the Passover meal. And the last psalm of those to be sung would have been Psalm 118. And the last verses of Psalm 118, verses 22 through 29, would have been the, the part of the hymn that they would have actually sung as they left that upper room to cross through the Kidron Valley to go to the other side to the Garden of Gethsemane where our precious Savior was betrayed and arrested. And I just want to read for you Psalm 118, verses 22 through 29, so you can catch the significance of what these disciples, along with their Lord, sang in praise to God before Jesus' betrayal and arrest. Psalm 118, 22 to 29. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech thee. O Lord, we beseech thee, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I give thanks to thee. Thou art my God, and I extol thee. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. We want to conclude this Echoes of Calvary broadcast with a Puritan prayer. The Puritan prayer God enjoyed. Thou incomprehensible but prayer-hearing God, known but beyond knowledge, revealed but unrevealed. My wants and welfare draw me to thee, for thou hast never said, Seek ye me in vain. To thee I come in my difficulties, necessities, distresses. Possess me with thyself, with a spirit of grace and supplication, with a prayerful attitude of mind, with access into warmth of fellowship, so that in the ordinary concerns of life, my thoughts and desires may rise to thee, and in habitual devotion, I may find a resource that will soothe my sorrows, sanctify my successes, and qualify me in all ways for dealings with my fellow men. I bless thee, that thou hast made me capable of knowing thee, the author of all being, of resembling thee, the perfection of all excellency, of enjoying thee, the source of all happiness. O God, attend me in every part of my arduous and trying pilgrimage. I need the same counsel, defense, comfort I found at my beginning. Let my religion be more obvious to my conscience, more perceptible to those around. While Jesus is representing me in heaven, may I reflect him on earth. While he pleads my cause, may I show forth his praise. Continue the gentleness of thy goodness toward me. And whether I wake or sleep, let thy presence go with me. Thy blessing attend me. Thou hast led me on, and I have found thy promises true. I have been sorrowful, but thou hast been my help. 
fearful, but thou hast delivered me, despairing, but thou hast lifted me up. Thy vows are ever upon me, and I praise thee, O God. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.